In the world of Hollywood, movies get greenlit and redlit. They get remade and rebooted. But we are the ideal. I'm Sam Gash, and you are listening to Ideal Remake. Thank you for listening to Ideal Remake. We take movies that either have been, will be, or should be remade and talk about what the ideal version of that remake would be. Today we're going to turn down all offers of help and make it on our own. So here today to offer double the help are Tom Loveman and uh, Roshni, how do I pronounce your last name? Lumino. Lumino. I was meant to ask before we started, but then I didn't. <laughs> so, Roshni, Tom, is the secret of my success a movie that has been, will be, or should be remade? Ooh, how much time do we have? <laughs> and this is really just a just a pick one of the three. I feel like it would need to be so updated if it was yeah. done today. The so question, the question, the question I had was, could it be remade? Because not as is. Yeah, exactly. You know? Well, you never want to do something as is because where's the fun in that? Yeah. But well, really, has it been remade? No, no. Mm-hmm. Are there any plans for it to be remade? Not no. that I've heard. No. But we're talking about it today because you think that it. It could be remade, yeah. Should, should be remade. Should, I guess that is the answer then. I Those think. are the three options. <laughs> should failed. be remade. All right. So before we get too far into the minutia here, why don't you both tell me a little bit about yourself so the people know who they're listening to. Uh, I'm Tom Loveman. I'm a writer and producer here in Hollywood. I've been uh, working with Roshni for years as a co-host on uh, the Writers Group Therapy podcast. And we also co-lead a writers group here in North Hollywood. And uh, I'm originally from Cleveland. And seven years ago, I decided to become a screenwriter. Screenwriter. It's kind of my midlife crisis was to move to L.A. Great. and become a writer. <laughs> and I'm Roshni Lumino. I think Tom basically said it all. We co-lead a writers group. We co-host a podcast, Writers Group Therapy. I'm an actor, writer, and producer. I specialize in comedy and romantic comedy. So this one, yeah. I'm the one that actually suggested it. I think you were like, really? This one? Yeah, I'm. Well, I grew up in the '80s, so this is kind of one of my coming of age movies. And I'd never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it was fine. So, Tom, I met you first. Uh, do you remember how I met you? We were just discussing this on the way here. We couldn't remember. I, I'm 50 years old. I cannot remember what I'm, I had for breakfast. So I met you and got your business card at a Stage 32 writing writers networking meetup oh i never go to those too that's probably like the only one i've been to quite possibly yeah it was at the that bar restaurant it busby's in, i don't know whatever whatever it's called in uh, hollywood oh like near the, little, right near the ihop near the ihop oh that was the one that was it's at like um, sunset in la brea it's it's on uh, i know what it is like, uh, and i can't remember the name of it um <laughs> yeah a little sports bar right yeah but that whole thing was organized by former guest former two-time guest of the show uh nick asunto Ah. who, I don't know if you know or not, or you're just on stage 32. Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, but yeah. That's where we met. That's really okay. cool. Yeah. So there you go. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so then talk to me about how you both first saw The Secret of My Success for the first time. I saw it in the movie theaters and back in the 80s when uh, I was a huge Michael J. Fox fan. You know, um, And this was post- Back to the Future, or was this pre-Back to the Future? 85, I think he had done Back to the Future. Yeah, 85 was the first one. I should know that. I feel like this was 87, I'm sorry. I should know that, because that's the year he goes from the future to the past and back. And that's your favorite movie, Tom. Yeah, it is. It is. I also watched Michael J. Fox on, uh, when he, his first thing was uh, the TV sitcom um, Family Ties. Oh, yeah? Where he played um, Michael P. Keaton, the conservative teenage son of a... Oh, no. Of a... Liberal parents. 
Oh no. Yeah. I don't like that at all. <laughs> it was a hit. Played for a long, ran for a long time. Yeah, yeah you yeah. you couldn't. That oh, that doesn't work anymore. Because also, that's not how life works. Yeah. This, um, so many things from the eighties. I don't. Although think that said, uh, you, did you both see Knives Out? Yes. I need to. I've heard it's great. I mean, there's a super conservative kid in that movie too, but also his parents are super conservative, so it doesn't really matter. Eh, rich people gonna be rich. Yeah. Is uh, <laughs> see, moral of the story for Knives Out. Uh, Roshni, how did you first see Secret of My Success? Well, we did not have cable, so this was actually on broadcast TV all the time. Oh. Along with Star Wars and Sound of Music. So, like, every year I would see this as a kid growing up. Those do, do seem like the big three. Right? Yeah. <laughs> In fact, it's funny because when we were re-watching this, I actually remembered exactly where the commercial cuts came. Oh, so really? So there were scenes that I'm like, I don't remember that scene because that was where the commercial cut was. Wait, so they would take a scene out to put commercials in? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. Why not just put the commercials between the scenes? Because it had a run within a certain, you know, like yeah. two hours or something. Uh, yeah. Like why Scrubs on uh, Comedy Central was worse than Scrubs on wherever, ABC or NBC, whatever network it originally aired on. Because they can't. Comedy Central put in more commercials, mm-hmm. and so they took out more scenes. Some of which were the want scenes with the punchline. <laughs> it was bad. It was very bad. It was very upsetting. Yeah. So I remember this as a kid, like, watching it in bits and pieces, and then, I don't know, I feel like I never actually saw it in its entirety until I watched it again for this. I wonder, did you notice anything that was edited out as far as, like, content-wise, or was it just opportunistic that the commercials were able to hide certain pieces that were maybe offensive for TV? Um, I'm trying to remember if they censored, I mean, there's really not language that I can remember. Yeah, innuendo. it's innuendo. I mean, it's on uh, IMDb as comedy slash romance, but it's not a romantic it's comedy. Not. It's a sex comedy. Yeah. And the, the scenes that they edited out that I remembered, like, being like, oh, I don't remember that, is um, when the dog goes after him. Like, when he's at the... Oh, oh yeah, when house. he's being chased by the, uh, Doberman, the, the Doberman. Yeah, so, yeah. like, it cuts to, like, him talking about what happened the day before, but, like, you don't see the dog mm. scene. And then when they... That's fine. I, I I don't miss that scene. And then the other scene that they cut was the, um, <laughs> when they finally find out who's sleeping with who, and Christy's crying, and then they just kind of cut there. So it's like, you don't really miss much, you just miss her being emotional. Oh. Oh. So... She she earned it. I know. Well, they had to put those commercials in there somewhere. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Let's uh. Let's 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 cut stuff from Act Three. That's <laughs> that's the not important one. Act One, sure. Act Two, I'll give you. Act Three, why? Tom, you were the one who originally suggested this movie, right? Or Roshni, did you suggest this? Movie? I did. Oh, you did. Oh, yeah. I'm so sorry. I didn't know that. Oh, it's okay. Why? <laughs> why? We were trying to think of something that. Well, first of all, that you hadn't done yet on your show. Fair. And, there, there have been episodes. And I think we've dissected Star Wars so much on our podcast. I would have said no if you'd asked for Star Wars. <laughs> but, I mean, I just remember really like, like, even though it's a weird movie, I liked it as a kid. And I'm like, watching it again, I'm like, why did I like it? How old were you? Well, I mean, like I said, they played it every year growing up, so I remember seeing it from, like, you know, seven, six or seven on. I could definitely see watching this movie at six or seven and liking it because it's goofy and then watching it again when you're 14 and being like, oh, I'm into this movie for a different reason now. <laughs> I mean, like, you you understand the nuances just enough, but, like, as a kid, like, obviously everyone's sleeping with each other kind of goes over your head. Right. You know? But I don't know. One of, they had this moment in the movie that I really appreciated where there are a lot of, like, things that you hear about in movies like this where... 
the male actor is short or shorter and like they'll put him on apple boxes or stilts so it looks like he's taller than um wh- whoever whatever female lead he's with but they didn't do that at all for this movie to the point where there's a moment in the elevator where he literally goes on tippy toes in order to kiss uh christy and i just thought it was adorable I'm like oh yeah because i hadn't even processed their height difference the entire movie i'm like oh yeah he's a short guy who cares yeah i don't think they ever did that with michael j fox in any of his movies nah, he's they pretty... never they played into the fact that he was shorter yeah, yeah. i mean he plays a kid in one of the movies so that that tracks mm-hmm. but i mean good good for him yeah let him be self-confident yeah um or yeah, werewolf. He, he did a lot of these kind of movies back in the 80s he did doc hollywood he did um Oh, uh, for for the love of money, where he played a concierge at a hotel. You know, he's always kind of the underdog, trying to you know, you know. You could have requested any of those movies. I yeah. haven't seen any of them. Oh no, we'll just do a whole Michael J. Doc Fox Hollywood was great. <laughs> he, he's a he's going to go be a plastic surgeon in Hollywood. And he drives his sports his little classic sports car across the country, and he he almost hits a cow and crashes into the fence at this house. It turns out to be the judge of the little town he, he he's passing through, and they sentence sentence him to community service. Where he has to be the town doctor for a couple of weeks while they fix his car. I mean, that's amazing. That's a fun. That's a fun premise. Yeah, it's a fish out of water kind of story. I'll say it's cars. <laughs> it's kind of like that. Oh my gosh, he is. He's kind of like yeah. Lightning McQueen yeah. in, in Radiator Springs. Yeah, a little bit. Live yeah, action. <laughs> and you know, and he comes to learn to enjoy the charm of the town and the people in it. I mean, Disney. Well, no, that's a Pixar movie. But yeah, cool, fun. Co-starred Woody Harrelson, by the way. In Doc Holliday? Doc Hollywood. Doc Hollywood. Woody Harrelson has been around for a surprisingly long time. Yes. And also his dad was a hitman, but whatever. (laughs) That is a true fact. That is a fun fact that is true. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a whole separate thing I learned on a different podcast. I don't know. Doesn't matter. Okay, so then let's talk about this movie for a second. So, like, what... What is the essence of this movie? Like, what... What is the secret of my success? Like, I mean, if you like were to plot synopsis, or we'll boil it down into a logline first. I get better at logline. Uh, than small I am. town, small town kid goes to big city to you know make it in business, and and he's willing to do whatever it takes. Well, and you know, and he has to fight all kinds of challenges. He shows up. He shows up in New York, and and the company he was going to work for is got bought by another company, and he's immediately fired. And he has to um, he has to suck it up and go see a distant uncle. Uh, who works at another company, Howard Pemrose, Ooh. and uh, and ask for a job because otherwise he's going to have to go back to Kansas, and he doesn't want to do that. Uh, Howard Prescott. Prescott. Oh, sorry. Did you watch the movie, Tom? Pembro- I thought there was a Pemrose in there. I think there's also a Pemrose in there. I think That's Pembrose is might the be other company. That's the name of the company. Uh, I believe. Pembrose yeah, because they're definitely the Prescotts. Prescotts. Ah, uh, yes. Prescotts. Mm-hmm. That's a town in Arizona. So then, my question is. Does that premise work anymore? Because this is pre-dot-com, this is pre-boom, this is like Wall Street is king kind of thing. Is this still true? Because at this point, when I'm watching this movie, I was thinking, a kid who's going to New York to go be on Wall Street either is in it exclusively because he doesn't care about anything in life, he just wants to be rich, or he's a monster. Um, And I don't know how else to take it today. Presuming we're making this today, or we're setting it today. Yeah. Um, I think if it was today, he'd be some sort of, like, some sort of entrepreneurial genius. 
Because, like, he comes in, he doesn't even have a college degree. Right. And, like, people are, like, either you're too qualified. Wait, he does, wait, he no, does he have does. a college degree. Oh, well, you're right. I'm sorry. Yeah. But, like, it was weird because... We're, let me look at my he notes. Was in the, he was in the interview after he... Oh, college was optional. That was the thing that I thought was weird. That they were like, oh, your college degree is, is kind of optional for doing this job. Well, they, they wanted the college degree, but they also wanted the experience. And they said, well, if you'd instead gone to a college where you could have been getting the internships and the experience. So he went to, like, the wrongs... The mm. the wrong sort of school. Right. Mm. Oh, if he'd done the training program out of high school, right? That's then he'd be was. a management. That's artist. what that's yeah. what confused yeah. me because I was like, that would never happen today. You need the degree. Yeah. No, that absolutely you know? happens the, today. The line, the really? line. That, oh yeah, there's so I know so many Just people who are applying for jobs that like it's their first job in Hollywood and it requires five years of desk experience. That I, happens all the time. Oh wow. Yeah. Huh. My friend, like I was talking to my friend about it literally last night. Wow. That's crazy. It's, um, there's one line and it's kind of the, the whole theme of the thing is how can I get any experience until I get a job that gives me experience? Right. And everyone has dealt with that. Yes. You know, that first time out, you know, I need this job so I can prove that I can do this job. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of a chicken and the egg kind of thing. And the, and the, and actually the funny thing is the person he's talking to is, um, Bruce McGill, who played Jack Dalton on MacGyver and about 75 other shows. Um, is the guy he's interviewing with. And oh, really? He, yeah, and uh, I saw him. I was like, it reminded me. Oh, my God, Jack, uh, Bruce McGill. And he says, um, and Michael J. Fox asks, uh, so why did I go to college? And he's like, well, you had fun, didn't you? Yeah, that was, uh, he just he just loathed that man in that moment. Yes, he did it very well. But the reason I brought it up, I was like, does he have to go to New York? Because I would say today, a modern equivalent to this kind of like entrepreneurial, like, let's see what's going on, the rise and fall of certain companies is he could just as easily go to Silicon Valley. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a coast of this country I'm more familiar with. Um, <laughs> I, I think that's 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 definitely a possibility. Um, you could still go to New York, though, because the, you know, Wall Street is has for is a, you know, hallowed institution that's been around forever. And there's always been scandals and stuff. And I thought maybe this in, in this instance, maybe the the inciting incident or whatever could be something to do with uncovering, you know, this insider trading that his boss is doing, you know, and and or something to that effect. It kind of almost becomes more of a thriller in that respect instead of a comedy. But um, kind of week weekend at Bernie's is about, you know, the accountants finding the uh, discrepancies in the accounts and the embezzlement. Right. Yeah. Huh. And then keeping their dead boss looking like he's alive. Well, yes, but, there's also yeah, that. That's the funny uh, part. So. I mean, it could even that's work the if you... That's the B-line. Yeah. It could even work if you sent him to D.C., though, too. Mm-hmm. And have him, like, coming up, like, be a politician? Like, trying to make it with a legislator. The, you know? I would agree, except that every... I mean, we would have to alter the character a little bit. Because right now, the character is basically, I want to be successful. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't have any aspirations beyond that. Like, if he was going to Washington, it would because, be because he wants to accomplish something. He wants to put a small town on the map. He wants to fight for this. He wants to fight for that. If he's going to Silicon Valley, he has an idea that he wants to get made because he really thinks that he can revolutionize the blank industry. Whereas if he goes to New York, it's because he wants to do business. And so, like, I think we have to kind of figure out what aspect of this character... Do we want, because in the 80s, it's, hey, we're just having some fun, we're doing some things, but it's not really what we want in our characters right now anymore. Like, we want to know, what does this company do? Like, he works for this company. I still don't know what the company does. I was thinking about that, because in the 80s and 90s, 
the one thing they always had in a business setting was the hostile takeover. Right. And you never know what the company that's getting taken over does or what the company that's going to take them over does either. It's all very vague, but it was like the big looming shadow, like the hostile takeover. Oh my gosh. That was a pretty woman. Pretty that, woman. Yeah. Pretty yeah. Woman. yeah. yeah. That too. So your character I, was I mean, it's just, they always kept it so freaking vague, mm-hmm. you know? And do we want to do the same thing? Cause I'm always, I mean, you grew up in comedy, you're a big fan of specifics cause specifics are funny. So what mm-hmm. do we want our specifics to be unless you prefer to keep it vague? I mean, it's still, I mean, just like us moving to LA to do this dream job, you know, that that's still gotta be the core of it. You know, somebody has got to have a dream and a goal, what industry it's in, you know, is, is irrelevant. You know, it can be any industry. Um, the skill set, even, you know, he's supposed to be a business whiz and good with numbers yeah, and strategy. Yeah, it turns out that he's excellent at this. Yeah, he's really good at it when he analyzes the business. So I feel like that part still needs to be in there. He needs to be able to come to the table and say, look, I know what I'm talking about and impress, you know, the, you know, the Yodas that he goes to to, to <laughs> eventually, you know, support him in his takeover. So that seems to be a key, a key uh, motivation of the character. So we really we need to keep that. What he what he actually does, whether it's business or not, is is you know doesn't have to be. I thought, what if it was somebody who was like you know um, a, a wizard coding or something? You know, it was like building you know, these AI systems or something. You know, it was like kind of a wizard that. I mean, in that case, you can send him to Denver. Denver or Texas are kind of the big up and coming places for computer programming. Yeah. But, really? Yeah. From oh. Kansas to Texas. Woohoo! <laughs> yeah, it's but, not that far. But, but it sounds like uh, you're both kind of leaning towards wanting him to be in New York just because that's kind of where the movie lives. Like, it's kind of like, oh, we're in New York doing New Yorker things. Well, there's also a class thing to it. So you can you can have that big... Cl- it's easy to show that big class, des- you know, disparity yeah. in New York because you've got the penthouses and you've got the, you know, sub-levels, apartments. That, you and know. New York is the most expensive place to live in the country. And so yeah. I think for that argument alone, we should absolutely leave him in New York. Okay. If we need to give him a purpose, I would say it's because he was a business student, he went to business school, and he likes the numbers and playing with the math and just like it has a certain way speaking as a bookkeeper because i was doing bookkeeping things all day uh <laughs> he literally could go to the to an office like this and uncover the, just like all the shady business practices they're doing and then you have to decide he has to have this like moment of like does he want to like give in all these shady business practices and make all the money that those things do or does he want to figure out a way to expose it and kind of Save it. Like, do, like, does he want to go work for these big Fortune 500 companies and just become a cog in the wheel? Uh, become the sort of people that we hate when we watch the big short? What, what do we want him to be? I think he should be there, like, trying to succeed ethically because that's, I'm a lawful good kind of guy. But... Well, I mean, the company he could be going to New York to work for could be, like, this socially responsive, you know, kind of new business with the open work environment and all that stuff. And then they're immediately and shut down. And they're immediately shut down because they're, <laughs> I, their, I biggest, do their biggest benefactor pulls all their funding or something. So they're, yeah. they're immediately lay off 90% of the people. I like that. Yeah. I think that's fun. And they're like, sorry, kid, you know, as soon as we get our funding back, we'll call you, you know, that kind of thing. That's fair. I yeah. like it. Uh, Rajni, th- different from the first movie, how many roommates should he have? <laughs> how many roommates should he have? Yeah. He doesn't even have any roommates in this. I know. Times are changing. That's true. That's true. Yeah, he could actually afford an apartment by himself, even though it was horrible. Yeah, I mean, was, like, like you can do that. No one can do that. That's in New York. In a in one of the in one of the two cities. No, I think it would be it would be very funny if that's how he manages to get his next job. Is if one of his roommates works in the mailroom of well, not mailroom. We have to come up with a whole new thing for that because 
mailroom is... They still have mailrooms. They mail still rooms. have them, but it's not the same. Not like that. Not with that many people. Not with no. that many people and, you know. I mean, the way that you would do it is you could have him be just like one of the, the computer techs. So he's having to walk around like, oh, hey, what can I do for you? No, you don't talk to them. You walk in, you turn the computer off, you turn the computer back on, and then you leave. <laughs> That's a great idea. Yeah. Make him IT tech support or something. Yeah. Because yeah. like, we could establish different ways that he's really smart because he's the, has, is the computer guy in the tech department. That's another way he can see all the data and information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he wouldn't be reading memos or letters. Yeah. Because that, that would never happen. Yeah. Yeah, that... I mean, after all these email scandals? No. <laughs> he could literally be, yeah, be sitting on the computer and doing the same dialogue as Michael J. Fox. Oh, this guy's sending an email to this guy. And, yeah. And there's three other people all chiming in. And, you know, like he sees he sees the web of intrigue. He can literally be more, reading the server. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that makes... that That's a good And that call. takes away that... Like illegal unethicalness of that part. Yeah, of reading, reading other the people's memos. mail. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, reading their emails is way better. Well, <laughs> I'm trying to think. That was one thing too. Like I watched it with my husband who'd never seen it before, and he was like, "Ooh!" When he saw that part, the reading the memos part, he's like, "How would you work around that?" I'm like, "I don't know." I'm gonna be honest. It didn't even occur to me. That those were private memos. Oh, okay. You're like, that's really? fine. Well, yeah, because I was just thinking they were just like, like, just corporate documents. Just like, I wasn't thinking like, oh, well, this is eyes only kind of thing. Like, I literally just thought that this was just financial information moving back around. I didn't think it was under lock and key. I just thought it was, here's the data and no one was reading it except him. Because mm-hmm. there was that, uh, that moment where he's in the conference room and he's talking and he says, uh, well, this guy wrote it. Did none of you read this thing this guy wrote? Because he wrote it. Mm-hmm. Like at no point did I ever feel like he was reading things he wasn't like he, that he was reading things he wasn't supposed to. It was just like a oh, mailroom kid shouldn't. It, I mean, it's not for a mailroom kid, but everyone else who's up here in a suit, we should be reading all the things we just don't. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like maybe because he was taking documents home. Yeah, okay, that's you know, fair. like that's like well, the, that's definitely a no no. Yeah, I mean, they let him take all that research home. I mean. Oh, you can have any of this that you want. I thought that was a little odd with the woman in the records room. Like, take yeah. whatever you want, you know, corporate reports and stuff, which Even are all available on, room, which most yeah. of them, all that information is available on websites and stuff now. I mean, they, they did make a point of establishing that, like, the entire company was being run inefficiently, and then they did nothing to fix it. <laughs> it was like, the entire company is being run inefficiently. Yeah. Forget that. We need to make more money because we're going to be bought out. So, like, I think it'd be funny if he kind of took advantage of some of, like, the inefficiencies in the system. Like, literally, the reason he, and it, uh, uh, it, the way he's able to read all this stuff at his home is because he patches his own laptop into the server and then just connects to and reads everything while he's just sitting at home. And, like, his roommates are, like, partying or whatever, and they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm finding out what, what they did wrong in Q3. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, theoretically. Man, they hit a lot of money. Theoretically, he could, you know, how he, he he talks about, oh, where there's this memo, you'll get the memo. He could literally create that digitally mm-hmm. and create his own persona. He could create his alter ego. It doesn't have to be someone who he sees an office that's empty or whatever. He could create it all, send in the requisitions, send in all the orders, and, you know, and everyone believes that, you know, oh, he, you know, this person exists because it's all in the digital record. You know, here's his employee record. Yeah. And he basically creates himself so that he works his way into the boardroom. We wouldn't even need that moment of him, like, changing back and forth between the different outfits because he could literally be on his phone sending out all these memos and messages and everything while going and doing tech support for other people. Right. People wouldn't even have seen him. Yeah. Yeah. He'd be this ghost. Mm -hmm. But everyone would be amazed by how all the great ideas he's coming up with. And I would also love if there's this moment where he's nervous about attending his first meeting and he's like, I fixed the computers of literally everyone in that room. 
and he was like, they're all going to recognize me. He walks in the room, not a single one. No one recognizes him. Because they, <laughs> never, they never looked at him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they would all get up for, you know, there could be a montage of him fixing computers where everyone gets up and ignores him and talks to somebody else or they're on their cell phone mm-hmm. or they uh, go to the bathroom or uh, I'm going to get some more coffee. And they, and so nobody actually interacts with him. Yeah. He's, he's, he's helping everyone, but nobody knows him. He's this ghost of a tech support person. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. And except for maybe Christy. Yeah. Because theoretically, she's the only one that he then talked to regardless of what they told him. Well, she could get into a fight with him over, you know, like, this is so important, this information I have, because it's going to, you know, it's the, you know, so they get into a dialogue about what she's doing, where he can then, they can interact and get that discussion going about, well, no, you should do this, and, you know, create that conflict between them. Mm -hmm. So. What do you think? I was actually thinking about just all the relationships. (laughs) Well, (laughs) let's let's talk about that. Go ahead. Well, it's it's so problematic because like it yeah it is billed as like a romantic comedy but like you're right it is more like a sex farce or something yeah and my husband actually brought this up too he was like okay so now the wife is buying out the company and she's okay with putting the lady that the husband was having an affair with as the second in command isn't that a bit weird you know like everybody's like sleeping with each other and then in the third act you're like but it's cool it's a little do sex machina yeah. a little bit but like. I kind of get it because, like, we they had actually kind of been building up to that because she knew everybody. She's like, oh, well, Howard wouldn't have had his job if it wasn't for me anyway. It's like, oh, really? Oh, well, interesting. And, like, they've kind of been hinting at that. Like, like oh, I'm going to introduce you to all these people. Mm-hmm. And it kind of felt like she had fallen into the kind of role as, like, the idle wife. But once she was given an opportunity to be a little bit more involved, I think she really enjoyed it. And I think it wasn't, um, she doesn't care who wins just as long as Howard loses. Even though one of the winners is the lady that her husband was having the affair with. I think she's, I mean, she did say let's cool with the sexual revolution. I think she was pretty on board. <laughs> I mean, she had already, you know, basically written off their marriage and had didn't, I mean, it was just a matter of when she was going to find out who it was. It wasn't that she was upset about it happening. She knew she, you know, and obviously she's fooling around on her husband too. So mm-hmm. that that's you know that bridge is burned already. So that said, that also makes something like I'm just now realizing it in this moment of like Howard's the CEO of this company. Why does he care if he de- like doesn't divorce his wife? But he's like, I can never divorce my wife. Now, of course, in retrospect, that's really obvious because, because she's it's the daughter it's her the, company. Yeah. He's running her company. She's the he, she's the daughter of the original founder. Yeah, so yeah. that's why he can't divorce her. Mm-hmm. They never say that. So I feel like that's one of those things that I, a week later, I'm able to figure out. I think that was a confusion between Prescott and Pemrose. The company was was Pemrose, but yeah. Prescott is They're the CEO. They're very coy in how they introduce it because I was I was paying attention to that because obviously I already knew that since sure. I had grown up watching the movie. But yeah, it's not until the very end where she's like, you've run daddy's company in the ground. Like, but she's very coy about mm-hmm. who she is in relation to the company up until that moment mm-hmm. where they probably need to be more obvious. Yeah. I would, if we're talking about relationships, I would make him be worse in the sense that like he comes home and goes, hey, how are you? So like he puts on a good face whenever he's talking with his wife, but he won't sleep with her. And she just doesn't understand why. And she's really, really frustrated. But as soon as he's away from his wife, he just badmouths the shit out of her. But then, like, when he's with her, he's like, hey, how are you? Because he wants to stay on her good side because he can't get, like, he can't let her divorce him. Yeah, they literally have, like, two scenes together in the movie. 
They have the scene at the at they the have three bo- three. They have the bathhouse scene, the the pool house scene, pool house, and then the end boardroom scene, and then there's the scene, the sexual revolution, sexual revolution scene, scene. And the the farcical. Um, and the scene where, scene. yeah, the scene where he's sleeping out of bed, but that's all a piece with the sexual revolution scene. The yeah. Scooby Doo scene was fun. I like the Scooby Doo <laughs> scene. I like calling it the Scooby Doo yeah. scene. That's an excellent description for it. Yeah, that, that's the full farce. Everybody gets that immediately. We see the Scooby Doo. Oh yeah, scene. absolutely. Yeah. That, I mean, Scooby Doo was out prior to this movie. Yeah. It very well may have explicitly been a Scooby Doo scene. Yeah, that's I don't know, fun. I think. I think the issue is the characters aren't necessarily likable the way they are. So I might change it so Howard is a total jerk, but maybe instead of him and Christy actually sleeping together, he's pressuring her for it. She hasn't given in, but he's maybe holding her job over her head. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise it is a... I I mean, I'm the only woman at the table. It is a little weird to be like, but we're we're cool now. You know? Yeah, you're not wrong. You know, I I don't know. There's just got to be a way to make it more likable. They don't necessarily need to be likable. I mean, Howard is pretty much... Irredeemable the entire movie. Oh, I don't mean him. I mean oh, you Christy mean and Vera. And Vera. And, uh, uh, Brantley? Yes. Mm-hmm. What a name. I'm sorry. I think that's hilarious that he's named Brantley. Yeah, it's not a good name, but that's why but we got to keep it. Carlton Whitfield? Yeah. it's. Uh, <laughs> I'm just such a big fan of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. <laughs> Hadn't even come out yet. <laughs> uh, then I got nothing. But you're right. Um, I, I think that in that context, you're absolutely right. It is, uh, that is weird. I don't know. What can we do about it? What should the re- the kind of like jumping to the end resolution be if Vera would probably be uncomfortable handing the company over to uh, the literally the the other woman? That's, yeah, that's the weird part about it, right? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, like I said, I think if maybe he's pressuring Christy and holding something about her job over her head, that makes it a little bit nicer. I maybe and I wouldn't even let Vera and uh, um, Brantley. Brantley. <laughs> like, what's his name again? I wouldn't even have them sleep together. Maybe. So, so in this sex comedy, you want to cut out all the sex. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of okay. I mean, like if you had it now in 2020 with the whole Me Too and how much has exploded as far as I, I mean, I don't know. I'm just trying to think of a way to make everybody a little less gross. Um, Tom's raising his hand. What is it, Tom? You're not supposed to tell them I'm raising my hand. Oh, sorry. It's too late. I think the audience deserves to know. Hi, everybody. Okay, so I have to throw out the gender swap option here. Okay? What if Brantley is female? Okay. Brandley? Huh? (laughs) Brandley. Brantley. I I think that could go either way, actually. Um, (laughs) And then you have uh, the Christie character is, you know, is, is a guy who she's attracted to. And then you have a powerful CEO who could, this could be either male or female that, that, you know, you could either go the evil F. Marie Abramson, Ralph Fiennes, I can never say his name right. Fines. Fines. Ralph Fiennes. Uh, Fiennes. Oh, oh, I was thinking of. Uh, t- uh, We're not doing casting Oh, yet. sorry. Okay. Anyway. Anyway. So, so you would have, um, and then you'd have a female kind of antagonist who would be the one bucking for the promotion, who would kind of be the foil, who would be, you know, kind of come between the Brantley character and... So you want to introduce a new character? Yeah, instead of the the wife, actually. So I'm... I'm... I like the wife. I like that... Because here's the thing that I actually found interesting, aside from the fact that there's three women, uh, four women in this movie. One of them's the secretary, one of them's the mother, one of them's the wife, and the other one's the girlfriend. (laughs) 
Like, the that aside, one of the things I really liked, it was like, Christy is got to be an executive at this company. And I really like the idea of she got to be an executive at this company. So she, I, I want her to have earned that herself. And she's so like, oh my gosh, now these people will finally look at her as an equal. And it still doesn't happen. He still sees her as just like the new hot young thing. And she's like, like to the point where like, I feel like she's got to be so frustrated with like, I literally prove myself in every single way. And I'm still being seen as just this. And then the disregarded wife back at home. And to the point where I would put Christy in charge at the very end and not Brantley because Brantley's white uh-huh. white male privileging his way to the top. Mm-hmm. Like he's literally breaking every single rule, well, but he's going to get away with it because uh, what a charming young man he is. Mm-hmm. People can't see my like weird head movement when I said <laughs> charming young man, but it was there. <laughs> like, so what I think we're missing in terms of the, the Vera Christie relationship is... They never have a scene together. Well, they do, but when they do, Vera does not like her. Right. They don't have a scene where it's just them. Yeah. We're not passing the Kinsey... Uh, uh, Kinsey? No, Kinsey's a different word. Bechdel. Bechdel. We're not... Like, this movie is so far away from the Bechdel test, it's not even funny. (laughs) But, like, literally, if we put those two in in a room together for some reason, Mm -hmm. they... Like, it's one of those things where they start hating hating each other, but that's just because they only saw each other through this through Howard's perspective. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you take him away and they're like, oh, well, no wonder he likes us. He likes being, uh, he likes putting down strong women. So you're thinking like a legally blonde type moment where uh, Reese Witherspoon and, what's the name? Uh, Brunette actor, but you know what I'm talking the, about. The one from they, Selma Blair. They're both, Thank they're both you. like yeah. in love with Warner and then they realize what an idiot Warner is and they become best friends. Right. Yeah. So you're yeah. thinking like that. Something like that. Almost exactly like that. Yeah. Where they choose each other over the guy. Yeah. Which would make me feel so much better about her getting the company at the end. Yeah. So let's do that then. If, <laughs> okay. It, like, let's... I think it should still be Brantley as uh, kind of our main... Like, as our initial main character. But I think we need to give both Christy and Vera way more agency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they're the ones who are kind of being pushed aside by people exactly like Brantley. And Brantley's on his way to becoming one of those people. Like, you mm-hmm. see at the end of the movie that they're just, oh, well, now they're just living the life of luxury because they're the CEOs. But I think that it should be something where you can see him heading in that direction, and it's Christy and Vera who push him back towards not being that guy because those guys are monsters. I see. So that's I love that twist. Um, that's one thing I felt that this uh, Secret Mice said was kind of linear. There's a twist, but it's not that twisty. Because, like you said, it leaves a male in, in charge. And all those other people in the room stay there, too, actually. Yep. Yeah. The, the, all the, all the yes-men are still there. And mm-hmm. it's still all men. Uh, so I like that twist. And I'd like to see it, it, how how would you deal with Brantley then in the end? What, what well, would you can, his... literally, you can literally give him a moment where it's like, like he's giving this whole big speech, this whole thing's happening. And then finally it's like, so who's going to be in charge? You? Well. And he dusts off the chair, goes to it. I'm not an executive. Christy will be. And that's how you kind of... I'm just the IT guy. I'm just the IT guy. I'm just her secretary. Whatever. Yeah. Does that work for both of you? Yeah. Well, I I think that that actually... Or you could be like, I'm in training. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like, literally, because he should be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If it is is a high-tech company, you know, know, a lot of people say the problem with technology companies is that the 
the genius who comes up with the idea is not the person who should actually run the company. Correct. Yeah, like we, we've all seen or, uh, Silicon Valley. Right. Exactly. So, and he he acknowledges that, and he says, "You know what? I'm not the person to run this. She's the person who can really run this company. She's got the head for business. She's corporate affairs. I'm creative. Right." Mm-hmm. Or however my, I don't sister, want to, my sister in I don't, advertising would word it. Yeah, and maybe part of the process is he learns that maybe he doesn't want to, you know, he, maybe he thinks he wants to do that at the beginning, but then he realizes, you know, I just want to create and do that part. But I have a partner here now that I can, an equal who, you know, or mm-hmm. someone I can work with who can take, you know, the business side of it and really, you know, run with it. Yeah. I mean, it's also possible that just like, I mean, he did commit a bunch of corporate espionage and fraud. He's like, <laughs> well, I could do that. But in order for me to not go to jail, I've made this deal. Because, again, corporate espionage, fraud, usually frowned upon. Unless you become the CEO, and then it's fine. And then it's fine. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it's but at, at some point you could say, but also, it was Vera's choice, and she picked Christy. Yeah, I would totally be done with that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Then, okay, so we've kind of got, we've kind of got our arc, we kind of got our things that we want to be happening leading up into the... Leading up into the core thing, like, do you have any, like, so, do you have any other, like, bits and pieces that you want to talk about, like, plot-wise or character development-wise? You know, one thing I was thinking about was the phone booth scene and updating that. Because oh, it's I so, forgot about that. It is so dependent on having a phone booth. But you could, because my husband's like, well, he could be on his cell outside. I'm like, yeah, but if you're on your cell, you just step inside the building. Oh, no, they have these really funny things for offices. They're like phone booths for offices. Yeah, but they're inside. I've seen those too. True. Yeah, like that whole scene that when he first gets to New York and like the bodega's getting robbed and stuff is all dependent on him being in a phone booth. So you had an idea for that? Well, I mean, like, I guess he could be on his cell phone outside and like maybe like walking down the street. Maybe he doesn't get good reception or something in the building and he's walking down the street and like the robbery's happening in front of him. So he has to like dodge it. Because otherwise, how do you create that? I have an idea. You know? Go for Go it. Ahead. Go for it, Tom. Okay. Um, uh, because there's a robbery going on, everybody whips out their cell phones and wants to get a video of it. And he's trapped in the space where the action is taking place. So there's a, you know, a, a, a wall, a wall of, of people, people filming, filming around him. And he's like, I can't get out of here. And there's like fighting going on around him and behind him. That's funny. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. so let me give you my pitch. My pitch is that he's, uh, in the smoking section. Like he's in the little area where you're supposed to be smoking <laughs> or vaping or whatever outside. <laughs> and literally he's unwilling to put down his cigarette or his vape, uh, and like he's like, I have to be. This is where I'm supposed to be. I can't, I can't not be here because I, everything else that's going on. <laughs> and so literally, like he could leave, but he'd have to leave his cigarette or his vape behind, and he, he, won't, do he it. won't do it. But I think Tom's is probably more satirical. The one thing about that scene, though, I have to bring up is that there's like a two, two, uh, two. Um, what do you call them? Per- perps or whatever. Two uh, criminals? robberies, criminals. Yeah, two robberies, two robbers, two criminals. And they're shooting at the police. And the police never shoot back. It, that's really progressive. It is very progressive. It's like... it's the like these were a wild time. Yeah. I didn't even think about I that. I also didn't think oh about that. Oh my gosh, and I was just missing the phone booth. There's one white guy and one black guy, and, and, and neither of them get shot, which would be funny, you know, but it's, it's weird, you know. It's like, these days, there'd just be like assault rifles and SWAT teams and stuff. So I didn't know if the crime needed to be changed somewhat or... Uh... I mean, if you do that, you can have the black guy and the white guy. The white guy can have the gun and the black guy could literally be robbing an ATM and then the cops tackle the black guy. 
Right, and leave the guy with the gun alone. And, the, and you literally just have this moment with the guy with the gun just being like, and just runs off. Okay. Puts it in his pocket and walks away. Yeah, like, you, if you want to do, like, you don't even need the phone booth. If you want oh, to have a satirical comment on the The, on the, the black guy could be the guy it. being robbed, too. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Although the whole point of that scene was not a commentary on robbery, but yeah. it was a commentary on you know him being in the city and right. mom exactly, not wanting, you know, not wanting yeah. to take mom out. But I mean, like that was that's also a very old school thing. Like the whole, like, I mean, the idea of them buying him a return ticket. Oh, that hurt! Uh, it's, it's an open return ticket. Yeah. ticket. is that a Who thing that even that exists anymore? anymore? Yeah. I don't even know. You, you, you just you, plane tickets aren't just things you buy and hang on to. They're yeah. not like currency. You, you, yeah, you need to be like in the system because this is a post nine eleven world. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that's a pre nine eleven world. Times are sad. <laughs> um, All the smoking in the in the offices and stuff too. That was yeah. hilarious. Um, uh, but yeah, that's okay. So, like, some sort of fear of the big city would be. Like, something else that, to make his parents scared of the big city. What's something else that would make his parents scared of the big city? Like, the, mm-hmm. if, you, if you want to go full rural it, or full just, like, middle America fear of the big city, it's like, I'm worried you're going to turn gay. And he ends up walking through a pride parade. That, that's kind of funny, yeah. yeah. And, well, I, feel like, I feel like that's been done. If, uh, but if they make him FaceTime, you know, I want to see you, honey. You oh, know? show me your uh, apartment. Yeah, yeah, yeah show the apartment. Uh, and he's like doing things to cover up the people around him. And With then, the, and then finally, he hangs up the phone. And is like, and just like, what are you guys doing? Oh yeah. Oh, w- w- which way are we heading? Like, because I don't want him necessarily to be homophobic. Because, but because like, if you use gay people as as the butt of a joke, that's not necessarily good. However, if you're making fun of the uh the prejudice of the mom i'm okay with it so who knows that's i don't i don't know where i fall on this joke I but mom, i feel like that's the way to do it mom and dad are supposed to be simple but not you know offensive so yeah. you, you have to like and, them sort of and they're honestly worried about their kid like they're worried about him failing and they're worried about him like <laughs> getting killed in the big city uh, which is a legitimate fear yeah I mean, it could also just be the thing where he's talking on his cell phone, which is something he's always just been able to walk and talk while doing, mm-hmm. and he just keeps walking into the road and all these cars and things keep swerving around and missing him, and he's just completely oblivious because he's small town and still has no concept of. Mm-hmm. I'm good with that, too. Okay. I don't know. Something where he almost dies, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could, it could be something with the subway, even, you know? Maybe the parents have watched too many movies, you know, they don't stand near the edge, or... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if you ever watch House of Cards, you know, they have the pushed into the train kind of thing. Like, yeah. Watch out on the train platform, honey. Make sure there's no one directly behind you with yeah. two firm hands on your back. <laughs> that's uh, that's the way I always thought I'd go. That's why I moved to a city with no train. I don't know. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. We, one of these ideas. The writer will figure it out. But yeah. Anything else that we need to cover or can we get into casting? Oh, the- we didn't talk about the soundtrack. Oh my oh. gosh. <laughs> so this soundtrack is so ridiculous because it's literally just, it's it felt like them stretching the runtime because every time it would just be like Brantley sitting there thinking about stuff and then the song would be singing what he was thinking. <laughs> In the most 80s way. 
And then they have a scene where it's like, it's a, oh yeah. Oh my gosh, it sounds like it's every. Yeah. It was the soundtrack of the 80s that was in, um, this is the sexy time song. Exactly. Oh yeah. And like, I don't know if you noticed, but like, in the 80s, they loved having on the nose music. Like, let's write a song called The Secret of My Success for the movie, The Secret of My Success. Yeah. And then let's spell it out as a cheer at the they, end. They did that in St. Elmo's Fire, too, yeah. yeah they, I they believe very that. very on-the-nose music. Although I like that song. It was like an 80s thing. That said, sure. that music video is ridiculous. <laughs> I don't remember the guy who sings that song, but in the music video, they were playing in a bowling alley or something I was at. He literally, like, there's just a line of all the characters in the movie. He walks up, sings some of the lyrics to the character, and they're like, uh-huh. And then he walks <laughs> up the next character and like, yeah, cool. And, like, it's just, he just, like, goes down the line of characters in the movie. And it took me a second to process, like, what is happening? Oh, right. Do they do soundtracks like that anymore? Because I remember they did They did no. it for... Uh, I used to have a lot of soundtracks. They had that. They had uh, one, the Ghostbusters soundtrack, the Never Back to the Future soundtrack. Uh, they had a song yeah. specifically called Never they had, they had songs in Back to the Future soundtrack, like, Back in Time. Yep. And the, it was the 80s. Like, they just loved on-the-nose music. The only way that you could do that way... The only way you could do that kind of soundtrack today is if that soundtrack was done by Randy Newman. <laughs> it's literally the only way. You got a friend in me. Because that's the joke about Randy Newman is that he just, his soundtracks are the things that are happening at the moment. Yeah. And this was the most Randy Newman-esque soundtrack that I've ever seen. <laughs> With synthesizers and Oh my, it was so and... 80s. Like, I would, like, I'd, I'd briefly forget that there was an 80s movie or I'd be like, oh, well, Christy's pretty, whatever. And then like, do <laughs> 80s. I have to give a, a shout out to David Foster though, because he did the instrumentals on it, and as cheesy as they were at the time, they were pretty big. And he actually got to do the uh, uh, Winter Olympic theme theme fanfare theme song, which was really cool. I loved that. I had the, I had the soundtrack, and I had one of his to other, the Olympics. To, to the uh, yeah, there was an Olympic soundtrack. There was also um, he did a an instrumental CD release. Uh, called Symphony Sessions, and it's on there. And then he did, you know, obviously I had, I had the soundtrack to this one too. So, <laughs> oh, really S- random. S-U-C-C-E-S-S. Um, as far as fun facts go, yeah. So, Secret of My Success was written by Jim Cash and Jack Epps, who also wrote Top Gun. And Jim Cash was a screenwriting professor at my alma mater, Michigan State. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. So they wrote all these hit movies, and one of them, Jack, was out here in LA doing the pitching, and um. Jo- and then uh, Jim would be Jim back Cash would just, just be, be in, uh, teaching? Yeah. yeah. Cool. Right? That's a fun thing. So yeah, so I, I do have a soft spot because, you know, Michigan State. <laughs> All right, I got it. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, we needed to talk about the soundtrack. It was important. So now let's get into casting. So the way I normally like to do this is like, we'll each take turns going first. Like, we'll kind of like go around just taking turns. So I feel like we should start with Brantley because he's sort of the lead. Did did you uh, forget to do casting, uh, Roshni? I only had... for. Oh, wait, you know what? I do have a couple. All right, never mind. My notes. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about who we have. Uh, I'm happy to go first for this first one. Go Go ahead. So my Brantley is a kid named Ross Butler. Uh, this is a moment where, like, if you've got your phones in front of you, it might help to, like, look up the what, what this dude looks like. Yeah, I don't know that actor, actually. Um, um, Ross Butler is in 13 Reasons Why. He's in Shazam, and he's oh. in Riverdale. Was he the main oh, character in Shazam? Who was he in Riverdale? He is... I don't know who... I don't know. I haven't seen it. Oh, okay. uh, I know he's, Riverdale. He's this guy. He is not the main character in Shazam. Oh, okay. He oh. is... Uh, I mean, I also aged them all up a little bit. 
Because it was a little weird for me that it was a uh, 40 or 50 year old woman sleeping with a presumed 20 year old. And I was like, I'm going to age everybody up a little bit. And they never say how old Christy is. They never say how old anyone is. Yeah. So I made both Brantley and Christy kind of late 20s. That makes sense. I well, mean, they could certainly be late 20s playing younger. Yeah. But in this case, Ross happens to be uh, 29. Ross Fleming Butler was born in Singapore and was raised in the Northern Virginia, Washington, D.C. area. I don't know. He was uh, one of the, like one of the other older Shazam versions. He was. Shazam. Oh, he wasn't one of the kids. Okay, he was. No. So he wasn't even in the movie that long. No, but he but, was great. Yeah. Also Asian, which is good. Because he was so like, Diversity. look at all these muscles. And uh, I, I was very because it's such a white movie. I was very specific about like trying to have a little bit more diversity in my casting. But anyway, I I liked him when I saw Shazam. I thought he was particularly charming, and then he kind of has that whole like kind of teen vibe. And he's also been in—I mean, he's been in like a bunch of different stuff. Like he—he's Reggie Mantle in uh, Riverdale. He was in Teen Wolf, which has that Michael J. Fox connection. Uh, the TV show, not the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's in Chasing Life. He's in Casey Undercover. He's in what other movies is he in? Uh, oh, not that many movies actually. Shazam's probably his first really big movie. Good for him. Yeah. I don't know. Post-production on to all the boys. P.S. I still love you 2020, which is something. Oh, that's, oh, that's funny. I had, I had uh, one of the actresses from that. It was in Parasite. So, her name's So, So Damn Park. That's a great name. Yeah, I know. I don't know if that's how you say it, but, uh, So Damn Park. Um, we apologize if we said it wrong. She was the daughter. I don't. She yes, was, I do. Uh, I the daughter in the so family. Sorry. I actually was still thinking about the gender flip, so I didn't actually cast a male. For oh, the well, role. who do you have uh, um, anyway? I was actually um, thinking of Naomi Scott. She was Jasmine oh, in, the, yeah. in the live action Aladdin. Oh, I've been and getting her last name wrong for a while. Charlie's Angels, and she was in Power Rangers. So I, I really liked her. If it was going to be gender yeah. flipped, but she could also she could also play the the Christie yeah, the Christie part yeah. as well. Absolutely, she is twenty six. She's also great. I've used her a bunch of times on this show because she's amazing and, ah. and everyone loves her and she's wonderful. <laughs> Cannot say anything negative about her. Okay, <laughs> we're not here to break down other people's suggestions unless they're bad. <laughs> uh, who did you have? You know what's funny is like so I know all the people I picked are too old because I was thinking more vibe. Vibe? Like, their vibe than, like, the person. So you have Michael Shannon for Brantley? No. I have, like, Chris Pratt, Will Smith, or Ryan Reynolds. I know they're all too old for the role, but, like, that vibe. Oh, okay. You know, they have that kind of, like, cool but goofy vibe. So you just need to find a younger actor with... Yeah, that's that's like a Chris Pratt or Will Smith. The younger Chris Pratt, that kind of thing. Yeah, like, I could totally see Will Smith doing this role. Like, in his, you know... 20 years ago. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't think about today. <laughs> we were casting it today. I was just like, oh, yeah, I like that. We're person. remaking the movie. He's sorry. casting the people from the 80s that could have done <laughs> from it. From the 90s. <laughs> Someone was so excited about all their notes, they forgot to actually do the homework. Sorry. <laughs> so then, let's do this. Assuming we don't do a full gender swap, who did you have for Christy, Tom? Uh, Karen Gillian. Oh, so you it was uh, like a, a, a female relationship. Karen Gillian for Christy? Yeah. You didn't, so you made Brantley female and made Christy female also is what I'm no, saying? No, no. I'm bouncing around a little bit here, so. No, I was saying, I was trying to get the male person you'd had for the gender swap. I didn't actually have anybody. Oh, okay. oh no, I did. It was uh, Ty- Tyler, how do you say his last name? Ho- Hochlin? Hochlin from I don't know who Teen you're Wolf. About. 
He was. I've never seen Teen Wolf. Oh, you mentioned it earlier. I did because uh, uh, he Russ was on Butler's it. In it. Oh, he was the uh, alpha on the te- on Teen Wolf. He's actually playing Clark Kent and Superman on the CW shows. Oh, I love him. He's great. He's also too old, but he's great. Like yeah. he's a really good Superman. Yeah, he has the the chin and the smile. Perfect. Yeah. Well, it's what's great about it is that like for the first time he's both a good Superman and a good Clark. Mm. And that's what makes it amazing. Because normally, the, like, the people who cast are, as Superman are either good at one or the other. Uh. He is a rare instance of being good at both, and it's delightful. Uh, also too old, but, like, still great. <laughs> so I think we're going to end up going with Ross Butler, but we're going to keep uh, Naomi Scott in the mix for Christy. Okay. Sound good? Sound good. Which is good because I didn't have a Christy. <laughs> Tom's got you covered because he's got two. All right. Okay. Thanks. So we know both of yours. It's Naomi Scott and... Uh, Karen Gillum, right? Mm-hmm. Mine is Rachel Brosnahan, who's oh. Maisel in Marvel's Mrs. I Maisel. I thought about her, too, but she's too busy being successful at that, I thought. But, hey. I mean, it's a movie. Like, she films during the off-season. Sure, like, they film during sure. the year. This is the, like, the movie they do over the summer. Lots of actors do that. Who wants free time? She's really got a great look when you don't see her in her period. Um, I mean, she looks great on the show, but, mm-hmm. you know, she, she looks older, I think, on the show. She, um, I think she does, too. Yeah. Like, when I looked her up... I found a picture of her, and I was like, I did not know who she was. And I was like, yeah. are you sure? Like, he yeah, kept saying, she, she like, totally uh, like Maeve yeah. Maisel. And I was like, that is Mrs. Maisel, right? Oh, wow. Because she yeah. looks completely different. Yeah. She looks like a young, like, like an Emma Watson when she was in Harry Potter almost. I yeah. was thinking, um, shoot, who's the uh, the lead of the, uh, the the pink girls in Mean Girls? Who's the me- main Mean Girl? Oh, the one who plays Regina. Rachel... McAdams. Thank you. Oh. I think she looks like Rachel McAdams. Yeah. And uh, kind of has that vibe. But, like, I think, like, you put her in, a in like, a pantsuit or something. I think she's all business all the time. Mm-hmm. So, that was my pitch. Yeah. You know, going back, though, Emma Watson would probably be a good Christie. She's got that vibe. Yeah. That, like, she's... smart, you know, kind of buttoned up, but also very beautiful. Yeah, she's a little vulnerable, too. Yeah, she yeah. can play vulnerable, too, so. All right. I mean, do you think she would be in a sex comedy? How much sex are we having in this comedy? Are we trying to make it romantic comedy, or is it going as is? I mean, <laughs> the, the thing about the original movie is that the essence of the original Secret of My Success is that it is a sex comedy. Yeah. Pitched as a romantic comedy or whatever, but the Secret of My Success is a sex comedy. And if you're looking for the remake, I don't think you need to, like, flash a boob or whatever. But, like, I feel like they are having sex. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Whether or not, I, I don't think that should be happening on screen, but like... It's all implied in this one. With the so, exception of when they're naked in the pool. That's even implied. Yeah, and if you watch... I mean, it, if, yeah, but they're naked a little bit. If you watch carefully, you can see the uh, body suit the, the thing. Nude, yeah, the, the nude, the, the nude gro- uh, loincloth or whatever yeah, that Michael J. Fox That was super weird. Yeah, it looks ridiculous kind yeah, of. Yeah, I, I mean... Guess I, I didn't freeze on that part. I just kind of watched. I didn't freeze either, but it was pretty obvious. Yeah, you I'm like, didn't have wow, to. They actually gonna, I was like, are they actually going to show Michael J. Fox's dick? <laughs> they are not. <laughs> and then uh, Vera or whatever. I, he looks like a Ken doll, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was strange. I would cut that scene because that scene does nothing because you literally have that and then you cut to them both in robes afterwards. I'm like, yeah, okay. We get it. <laughs> okay. And then he's like getting dressed again while running away from the husband. So our options, Roshni, because you don't have uh, a horse in this race, our options are Naomi Scott, Karen Gillum, or Rachel Brosnahan. Who do you want? For Christy? For Christy. Oh, wow. Yeah. Those are your three choices. You gotta pick. I'm honestly 
Because I'm not that familiar with any of them, I don't really have a stake. Yeah, but Tom and I are biased, so you gotta pick. Oh my <laughs> you have tiebreaker. Wow. I will say I really do like the Mrs. Maisel show. Okay. She's excellent in that, so I'd probably go with that because I'm familiar with it. She probably has the best comedy chops of the three. That... I mean, Karen Gillum is really funny. I actually think mm. Karen Gillum might be a little bit too old, though. Like, between the, two, between the two of yours, I would lean towards Naomi Scott, but I think Rachel Brosnahan is more exact. Like, I feel like Naomi Scott is a better Brantley than she would be a Christie, but I think Rachel Brosnahan's a better Christie, is where I would lean on that. Okay. I'm good with that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then the next person I had is Howard, the uncle. Oh, there's so many good ones for this. I mean, yeah. I, I went for the classics. I went for the F. Murray Abramson. I was going to say, it's Roshni's turn to go first. Oh, I'm oh. sorry. I'm sorry. I, I'm stepping on the process. My bad. He's not, like, swarmy enough, but he's intimidating. J.K. Simmons. J.K. Simmons? Okay, I can see that. Yeah. You see, How old is J.K. Simmons? Oh, that's right. You went with Essence. <laughs> I went with Essence. <laughs> because J.K. Simmons is 65. Oh, my goodness. Actually... And if you had a 20-year-old, that's even grosser. Yeah. That's actually pretty good. It's it's, it's pretty gross. Don't like it. I went with someone in... This guy is late 40s, who I have, but go ahead, Tom. Hmm? Oh, I was kind of old, too, because I was going with the F. Murray Abraham and the Ralph uh, Fiennes. Uh, What about... um, F. Murray Abraham is 80. Yeah, really, really old. What about like a a smarmy, like like a Colin Farrell kind of thing? Colin Farrell's great. I need to see the, uh, is it The Gentleman? Mm. The new movie he's in that's out right now? I need oh. to see that so bad. But I need to watch another movie for podcast research this weekend. Oh, who's the gentleman that plays Don Draper? Oh, John, John Hamm. He's good at Swarmy. John Hamm. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. really good at Swarmy. Smarmy. Smarmy. Smarmy, that's how you say it. Sleazy. <laughs> John Hamm is 48. John Hamm's in the right uh, ballpark. The guy I had for Howard Prescott, Prescott, I keep doing that, is named Benjamin Bratt. Oh, yeah. Good, swarmy guy. We don't immediately recognize him from anything, but, like, it's just one of those guys who are just like, yeah. He's in this yeah. yeah. Oh, everybody yeah. knows him from that. I guess I don't People. think of him as, like, super sleazy, but I guess he could play that way. Yeah. I like, He's all, look I, at this suit. I like John Hamm better, because I think John Hamm can play that duality you were looking for, the two-faced aspect better. Cause yeah, it comes I mean, off, that, that is what he's known for. Yeah. Do you want to put John Hamm back in charge of an advertising agency? <laughs> oh, God. Typecast. <laughs> well, it doesn't have to be an ad agency, but yeah, I know what you're saying. Um, I mean, I don't know what other, I mean, this guy's been doing Law & Order for 15 years. He's also a voice in Coco. He's a oh. voice of, like, the guy, like, the, the adult guy in Coco, and he's great. No, I think he sings No, he's a, a great actor. Yeah. I know who you're talking about, yeah. I don't know. Just, like, he he's someone who doesn't come up that much on this podcast. That's why I was excited to find him. The person I have for Vera... Has come up before on the podcast. Oh, who do you have for Vera? I'll get there. Okay. We're not there yet. Okay. We're still, we still haven't decided on Howard. I'm sorry. I'm this okay. is what happens when you put three uh, podcast hosts on a podcast together. <laughs> there is a structure. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so if you had to choose between Benjamin Bratt and, so John Hamm is yours, Benjamin Bratt is mine. Tom, what do you think? Did I have one? Who are we talking about? Howard. Yeah, your, well, you didn't, like your, mine, cho- mine were your, all... your choice was 80 years old. Yeah, well, I had uh, Tyler from Teen Wolf was still potential for a younger version of Howard. No? 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 Okay. <laughs> I had my, my female versions of her, which could be Vera's, but I won't I won't get ahead of yeah, the game. Yeah, save that there. for Vera. Save that for Vera. So I'll just, I'll, I'll just vote on your two. Um, 
I still like, like I said I like John Hamm better. All right, so. John Hamm it is. I don't know if he'll like playing the bad guy, but I mean he's been a bad guy. Did you saw Baby Driver, oh, right? Skarsgård. That's who I was thinking of. Which one? The one who was in the Alien movies. He played the robot. Skarsgård. He was, was Magento. Ma- Magento. Magento. Magneto in the in the. Uh, in the uh, he is X-Men not thing. a scars guard. That's not a scars guard. No, Fassbender. Michael yeah. Fassbender. That's who I was thinking of. Sounds totally like Michael, Skarsgård. That's Michael Fassbender. That's, I, I mean, I think Michael I Fassbender there. and John Hammer are basically the same type. Yeah, they are. Sorry about that. That was funny. Sorry, scars guards. Like it's Fassbender. It's Fassbender. <laughs> Those names are also complicated. <laughs> Fassbender's forty-two. Yeah. I didn't know that. Uh, too late. We already went with Roshni's choice of John Hamm. Okay. Uh, so then it's my turn to go first uh, for Vera. Okay. And you might recognize this name. <laughs> because I thought it'd be fun to go with Jennifer Lopez. Oh. Oh, that would be yeah. interesting. Yeah. Especially for someone who's rebranding herself in, like, the two things that I know that she did in the last year are Hustlers, where she plays a stripper, and... The Super Bowl show where everyone's like, oh my god, look at how sexy Jennifer Lopez is. Mm-hmm. Like, you have this moment of, like, it's this woman who is middle-aged and she's talking about how I have maintained this body by doing all of these different things and he, my husband is ignoring me. But I'm still this sexy, am I not? And you look at Jennifer Lopez and you're like, yep, yep, you are. Yep, absolutely. You keep doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And But also, like, she's a good actress. I mean, she, she was fantastic in Hustlers and she's done other things as well that I could pull up right now that are very, very good. Like, she is absolutely the the triple threat that she deserves to be. And so that's why I thought Jennifer Lopez would be fun. Like, the amount of things that J-Lo is going to be, like, either producing or in is phenomenal. But, like, she's in the new Bad Boys movie. She's... Ugh, it's all going to be music videos. She's just in a bunch of stuff. She's, she's in Fleabag. She's in... Oh, no, I guess she's not. They just played Jenny from the Block in one episode. Uh, but that's actually really funny. I don't know. We all know who JLo is. Why am I looking her up? That's silly. Someone else say some things. Roshni, you're up. Who do you have for uh, Vera? I would say Scarlett Johansson or, I really like, again, the vibe, uh, Ruth Wilson from His Dark Materials. Did you play the mom? She's uh, Coulter. Yeah, Mrs. Coulter. She is very good. I like her a lot. And she's got that right vibe. That kind of, like, mysterious and, cool. like... I don't know. I just Roshni like only wants to cast white people. Got it. Sorry about oh, that. God, I now I don't want to say mine. <laughs> but I I would not put Scarlett Johansson in this role, but I would put her. She's a good choice. I like her a lot. I don't remember the name of the person you just said. Oh, Ruth Wilson? Ruth Wilson. Thank yeah. you. Ruth Wilson's a good pull. I like that. Also, I really enjoyed his Dark Materials. Uh, Tom, who do you have? Well, my first inclination, um, because she's pretty much done the role before, was Sigourney Weaver, because she was in Working Girl. Uh, but she's definitely um, we've done Working Girl on the podcast I feel like she might be too harsh she's she's, Ruth Wilson's only 38 really? yeah apparently dang but then uh, I've enjoyed her on uh, Jessica Jones Carrie Ann Moss Mm -hmm. Trinity and the Matrix she's been on Jessica Jones as uh, Hogarth the the attorney uh, really tough character she's really strong she could do a great job at in that role, I think. I do like Carrie Ann Moss, and I feel like Carrie Ann Moss also would be excellent. I'm kind of leaning towards Carrie Ann Moss. I'm not thinking of diversity. 
You're making me feel so bad. I uh, should. You should. Yeah. Rosario Dawson, maybe. Mm, it's too late. We've already moved past it. Looks oh, like we're wow. going with Carrie Ann Moss. <laughs> wow. Just one more white person. And it's oh. all Roshni's fault. Well, let's just be fair. The movie was entirely white the first time. Uh-huh. At least we're mixing it up a yeah, little bit. There you go. Are we? Well, if we go in there, we Scott. With so far the four people we've cast, one of them is uh, diverse. Okay, how about somebody... To... It's too late, we've moved uh, on. We're going to have to save it for Fred, uh, Barney, or Gene, which are the last three I've people I have. I've definitely got one for Fred, yeah. All right, let's talk about Fred then. Go ahead. Uh, Dev Patel from Slumdog Millionaire. Okay. Tell, tell us about him. I know who he is. He's come up on the oh. podcast before, but if this is anyone's first episode, tell us about Dev Patel. Um, what, 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 um, what has he recently done that I just saw him in? He was um, in Lion. He was in uh, The Newsroom. He's I looked in... at this before. Uh, if you're listening, Meredith, we know you Chappie. have a big crush on him. Chappie, the last last Airbender. Chappie, the last Airbender. No, those are two separate things. <laughs> Chappie was not an Airbender. Chappie was a robot. Yes, I know. Just imagining those two together. Oh, I'm talking weird. too fast. You know, he's he's Indian. He's you know funny. He's uh, the age is good. Yeah. You know, he he's. I mean, it's a little typecasting an Indian being in. If, if we're going to put this in an IT department, it's a little, little on the nose. But if we cast Dev Patel, he would have to be terrible with computers. <laughs> it's like they, the they hired, they hired me to do this. I'm bad, but like literally, I walked in and they hired me. I told them I was I'm, a graphic designer. <laughs> I am bad with like I do. Like if someone's like can't get something to format right in Microsoft Word, I'll just hit buttons until it happens. I don't know. <laughs> That's what I would do for that bit if you yeah, cast Devin. To, to just make it funny. Yeah, that would be great. Uh, Roshni, who did you have? I mean, if you really wanted, like if we're still on the Indian route, <laughs> Indian guy route in IT, uh, what, how do you say his name? The guy from Big Sick. Uh, Kamel Nanjiani. Yes. Oh, yeah. He's been everywhere lately. I like him as a comedic actor. He is. Kamel Nanjiani, I think, is actually older than you think he is. Uh, not that I care about age, but like. I care about age. Yeah, you do. Camille Nanjiani is 41 years old. But, like, for this role, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, I love Camille Nanjiani. I think he's great. And I also think uh, he would be good in this role. And uh, Camille Nanjiani is actually Pakistani. I'm pretty sure. Oh, okay. I'm not positive on that. I'm going to verify it. He was born in Karachi. Yeah, Pakistani-American. Cool. So I'm not entirely... Being. <laughs> well, you did say he was Indian. The important thing is. Oh my gosh. Should I just leave right now? <laughs> just hope you never meet him. I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't be picking on you. I apologize. Considering I'm actually the only, like, not I know. Person in That's the why table. I'm enjoying this so much. <laughs> I'm, sorry. I'm so sorry. So the person that I had is uh, an actor named Josh Peck. Like, he was Josh on Drake and Josh. And he actually hasn't done all that much recently, which. But, like,. In this particular case, I kind of did what you were doing is go with vibe. Yeah. And he kind of has the same vibe as the original actor who has a name. That actor's name is John Panko. uh, And just uh, Josh Peck had a little bit of that same vibe. And so I always write down things that these people have been in to kind of remind me. Uh, So Josh Peck from Jake and Josh. And he's also in a movie called The Siege of Fulton Avenue. And that's the... Which is where we are right now. (laughs) Because Ah. we live on Fulton Ah. Avenue. Yeah, everyone's excited about this bit. <laughs> I literally have him here so I could do this bit. Oh, okay. I don't necessarily think he'd be the best choice, although I do think he has the right vibe. Okay. I think we should probably go with uh, either Kumail or Dev Patel. But so, you guys decide between yourselves. Well, uh, the Siege of Fulton Avenue. Should we film more? <laughs> Kumail's got, obviously podcasting. got the comedy chops, too. So, 
I think uh, he, he's actually a little bit bigger these days. I think the role would also have to be bigger because, like, the friends were totally underutilized. In the I mean, film. you're both casting people who are now at this point a-listers. Yeah, yeah. So, but I that that's one thing that bothered me about the movie was like the friends were like, I'm like, are you even friends? You don't have a scene with them. Like, what's I mean, it's one it's one of the so like '80s '90s movies tropes of you have a couple scenes with me. You're my best friend, therefore. Yeah, I want because he because like. Michael J. Fox basically emerges fully formed from the ether. He has parents, and that's it. He doesn't have friends. If it was now, and someone was moving from a small town to the big city, mm-hmm. they'd have all these people. They'd constantly be like, literally, what we could do is we could instead of just having his parents calling him constantly and saying you're not going to make it, move back home, is you could have everyone from his small town calling him and going, "We miss you. You should come back. Why aren't you here? We're mi- this is because that's what happens." I literally had a, a roommate here in my apartment. Who lived here for three weeks and then moved back to his small town. <laughs> wow. It was wild. But, like, that happens. Like, the call of, like, like everyone wanting you to come back because they miss you is, is real. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So, it's just like, like, moving to a big city, that first person, that one person you spend a couple days with here and there, that is your best friend. I mean, you, all, you both remember moving to cities that you've never lived in before, I assume. Same sort of thing, right? You yeah. see someone once a week, maybe twice, they are your best friend so who's better best friend material Dev Patel or Camille Nanjiani who would you rather be best friends with Tom Camille done Camille Nanjiani awesome so I have Barney and Jean left is there do either of you have casting for characters other than those two Barney was the mailroom guy yes he is god oh uh no I don't have anybody for that okay so that means it's going to be me yeah I kind of forgot about him (laughs) Uh, I just wanted someone who could like be that intimidating like also in charge but also has the comedy chops so I went with uh, Enrico Colantoni. Oh, I love him. Yeah, he's yeah, great. Great choice. And I thought he would just be a fun, like, when you look at me, you call me God. I invented computers. No, you didn't. You don't tell me no. Yeah. Yeah, and I just thought that he'd be able to, like, have full fun with this. Just go full Galaxy Quest on it, Veronica Mars, all the things he's done, because he's wonderful. Mm-hmm. So then that brings me to Gene, uh, the secretary. Who would, Does anyone have someone for this, or... Again, vibe, they're A-listers, but Rebel Wilson or oh. Melissa McCarthy, because I love them both. Rebel Wilson, <laughs> so those are both great ideas. Rebel Wilson, I love that idea. The person I went with is uh, Yvette Nicole Brown. Mm. Oh, she so did it too. Yeah, I went, they have I the actually, same kind of vibe. Yeah, I went a little bit older this time. Mm-hmm. I went with someone who's very sweet, who would be just shocked by the antics she's witnessing. And so that's why I thought she'd be a little bit fun. Mm-hmm. So Yvette Nicole Brown for uh, Jean. Because there's no reason for her to be the same age as them. And I think uh, Yvette Nicole Brown is great and should be in more things. And diversity! There you go. That too. <laughs> Which brings me to the writer and the director. I have a writer-director. Do you guys have a writer and a director? Or do you have a writer-director? You don't. Okay. We're very bad at homework. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you who our writer and director is going to be. I went with someone who is both intricately familiar with the world of Wall Street and is also intricately familiar with the world of comedy. To the point where he is obsessed with both. Hmm. And that's why I thought this guy would be the best person. Because, like, you can take, like, literally, the because th- I always list things that, that uh, this person's done. And so the three things that I've listed here are basically the, the essence of this movie. The Big Short, Anchorman, 40-Year-Old Virgin. Because I think the obvious choice for writer-director for this is Adam McKay. Oh, Okay. Because he did the big short. Like, he knows Wall Street. And he knows, like, kind of, like, the big, the good things and the bad things. And kind of talking about that. 
but he also knows ridiculously silly, like Anchorman and someone who's too big for their britches. And then he knows, like, ridiculous sex comedy, but somehow not a sex comedy in The 40-Year-Old Virgin. I mean, that's a romantic comedy, but it's it's a sex comedy with no... It's an... It's an abstinent sex comedy, <laughs> which is kind of what it is. Yeah. Um, so he kind of like has all the elements and I feel like he'd be the person who would make a really good writer director for The Secret of My Success. Yeah. And also because he knows a bunch of economists. Ah, uh, well. Which I think is funny. And everyone should be friends with economists. You guys mm. want to know what I got my BA in? <laughs> hmm. Could it be? Drama. Uh, so let's, uh, <laughs> also economics. <laughs> I double majored. Oh, yeah. Trick question. Relevant. But then, yeah, that gives us our cast, unless either of you had anyone else. No. All right, then let me take you through who we've got for The Secret of My Success. The Secret of My 21st Century Success. Brantley Foster will be Ross Butler. Christy Willis will be Rachel Brosnahan. Howard Prescott will be John Hamm. Vera Prescott will be Carrie Ann Moss. Fred Melrose will be Kumail Nanjiani. Barney Radigan will be Enrico Colatoni. Jean will be Yvette Nicole Brown, and the writer-director will be Adam McKay. That is our new version of Secret, The Secret of My Success. So, Roshni, will you go see this movie? I would. I like that cast. Tom? Of course I would, yeah. Wonderful. And I'm taking Michael J. Fox with me. <laughs> He's down. He's not busy. Yeah. Uh, so then, now's the time for plugs. Thank you both very much for being uh, guests on the show. Tell me about the things that you've got going on that you want people to know about. Tell us about your social medias and your own things. Well, you can find me on Twitter at Roshni Lumino, and I'm on Instagram at Moon Lily Music. Currently, I'm working on a scripted comedy podcast called Expat. It's going to debut March 17th of this year. Congratulations. Thanks. I'm excited. Cool. You can find me online at Tom underscore Loveman on Twitter, Tom Loveman on Instagram, and Tom Loveman on Twitch now. I do some, uh, I do some streaming on there because I have a video game in development. Congratulations. A word game called Fighting Words, which will be coming out in uh, a month or so. We're in development, so look for that. Yeah, so it's kind of taking writing in a different direction. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, way more writing, because my understanding for video game writing, it's way more. <laughs> well, it's it's just a casual social game. It it's not story to it. But, ah, got it. Okay. But uh, uh, yeah, I uh, and I just have an animated um, pilot that I, I was able to pitch to a couple studios. So I'm waiting that's to see. Exciting too! Yeah. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. If you want to follow me, I'm on Twitter at Sam Gash S A M G A S C H. Or uh, if you want to follow the podcast, it is on Twitter at Ideal Remake and on Instagram at Ideal Remake. Or you can join us on Facebook at Ideal Remake or Ideal Remake Podcast. But if you can do something for the podcast today, if you could go on Apple Podcasts and give us a five star, give us five stars, leave us a review, I would be very appreciative of it. And I would love you just that little bit more. Yeah. So then I've been ending the podcast this way. Tom, Roshni, what is your favorite quote from The Secret of My Success? Favorite quote from them. I'll go first because I'll let you think. It just stuck with me. That's why I just remember when they all meet up in the bedroom, and uh, Vera goes, "And Chris used the bimbo." Now that we've all had Mouseketeer roll call, I don't know why. I just remember that quote. That is pretty great. That's got to stay in our remake. A great fair. Yeah. I like when Jean says um, when she's getting fired, and she says something to the effect of. He, I like he's he was a great best boss I ever had. He kept taking his clothes off. He was fun and he kept taking his clothes off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Fun. Thank you both very much. Thank Yay. you. Yay.